0: Hi, this is Pastor Rick. You know, I'm really glad you're with me on demand. I'm a big on-demand fan because the Word of God is in your hand. You get to dial up, tune it in when you get ready. And I hope you're ready for a great word. We're going to talk about racism today, dreaming of a life without racism. What is it like to wake up in the morning and people really get along? I want to give you some practical answers today. This message is one that's unique. I have never taken this angle at all. It gives us an insight in Acts chapter 10 that is really profound. It will help you see things differently, I believe. So hang with me and go right there to the Word of God with me. Now Acts chapter 10 and watch it change your life. It's going to be an amazing journey. Enjoy. Hi, this is Pastor Rick. I'm glad you're with me today. Now, today we're going to take on a topic that has been on everybody's mind. We're going to talk about racism today. We had a guest last week that was a tremendous uh, help in this conversation. His name was Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, and what he shared about racism was incredible. He shared it on Pentecost Sunday, and uh, if you're seeing this down the road, that was in 2020 when he shared his Pentecost Sunday sermon. It was profound, and it helped me understand the power of of racism, and he talked about the, the need for people to speak up. He said, Everybody ought to say something right about now. When things are bad and, and after the horrible death of uh, uh, Brother Floyd, I tell you what, George Floyd, my heart goes out in Aubrey and others who died uh, in, uh, in incredible ways that surprised all of us. But in the middle of all of that, I felt that I needed to come up and say something to you and to try to put some of this in context. And so what I want to do is I want to take, take a moment, I want to pray first, and then I want to jump into this subject. Father, I pray for those today who are listening to this message. I pray that it would inspire them to hear from a different angle and to not feel intimidated. And I pray for all of us to learn today as we share in your word in Acts chapter 10, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you on a journey, and I want to take you to the beginning of the Christian church's responsibility. Whenever you talk about racism, I think you need to first have a clear definition of what it means. And I want to put up on the screen a clear, simple definition for what racism means because I think it would help you. First of all, it is the belief in the superiority of a particular race. It is the belief in the superiority of a particular race. But I want to add to that, if I can, this note. This can be manifested in what's called systemic ways throughout a culture or a relationship. So you can have systemic ways, and the word systemic basically describes something that is all throughout a system. It's all throughout. For example, it's a, it's a medical term that describes the circulatory system of the body and how that oxygen is thrown is, is is passed throughout the entire body. And so, something that's systemic is everywhere. It's through from your feet to your heads everywhere. And what we create is systemic um, ways, attitudes, cultural habits that deny people access. For example, watch this. You'll love this illustration, ladies. Did you know that this country, founded for almost 150 years, about 144 years, did not allow women to vote until 1920? They could not vote for almost 144 years of our our history. Now think about that. And men systemically created created a system that denied them access. And that continued mainly up until 1965 for African Americans. In 1965, when the Voting Rights Act was put in place, up until then, there was all kind of blockades and things that hindered most people from voting if they were black. And what's really powerful is when you think about that, people put in place laws, behaviors, choices, Jim Crow laws, a lot of things that denied women, denied men. And I think it denies not only um, men and women, Denied poor people access, denied uneducated people access, our system has at times been systemically committed to blocking people, and you might say, well, I didn't do it, I understand, but just follow me for a second. Somebody did it. And the goal is to make sure that we address that and I want to show you that in the context of the Bible because Matthew 28: 19 shows us the danger of that. Now turn there, Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. This is the verse that I think will help you understand the power of getting past systemic racism and the damage it can do to the Christian message, Matthew 28:19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. Now, look at it again. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Your job is to touch all nations, ethnos, ethnic groups. You're called to do more than just reach people who look like you. I'm not called to just touch black people. I'm not just called, you're not just called to touch Asian people. You're not just called to touch Hispanic people. Your job is to touch every ethnic group. That was the challenge he gave the disciples because he knew that the temptation would be to just focus on the Jews, to stay in their own neighborhood and only focus on the people that look like them and that have the same cultural habits. My job is not to change a culture. My job is to to launch people into the gospel with the message of Jesus Christ, not to get them to change, which brings me to a very important point. The first time the word racism was used in print was by a guy who I I found this story to be incredibly true, incredibly phenomenal. It's Richard Henry Pratt. The Oxford Dictionary describes it this way. The first recorded utterance of the word racism was by a man named Richard Henry Pratt in 1902. Pratt was railing against the evils of racial segregation. Here's what he said. Segregation, any class or race of people apart from the rest of the, segregating rather, any class of of people apart from the rest of the people kills the progress of the segregated people or makes their growth very slow. Association of races and classes is necessary to destroy racism and classism. Wow, that sounds phenomenal, doesn't it? But he also had another view, which is interesting. Although Pratt might have been the first person to in, to inveigh against racism and the 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 deleterious, if I get the word out, effects by name, he's much better remembered for a different different comment, different coinage. Here's what he said: "Kill the Indian, save the man." Kill the Indian, save the man. Now, here's what I believe is interesting. This is an example of what I call philosophical racism, which means he felt that a person, and this is a Union Army guy uh, in his early earlier career, he felt that you could save the man in the Indian, but you had to kill the Indian. So you, you save the man, but kill the Indian. So what they did was they started, he started school for Indian children. And You know, at this time in the early 1900s, 1800s, late 1800s, you know, Indians were on these reservations, they were struggling, and parents were having a hard time feeding them. So he went to them, went to the chiefs, went to the leaders, and he got them to give them his children to educate them in schools. And these schools were going to make their lives better. And so the Indians gave in and they sent these kids to these schools, and when they did, they made it illegal for these kids to speak their own normal language. They made it illegal for them to eat the same foods. They made them, quote, more like Pratt's people. And so now the Indians lost their language. Um, they blame the loss of a lot of the original languages of Indians from this experience. And so here's a point. He meant, well, he thought he was trying to fight against segregation, but he was also fighting against culture. You know hate the love the man hate the Indian change the Indian get rid of the Indian part of you it's really amazing that sometimes we mean well but our philosophy our approach to people is in the end you need to be like me see I don't need to make friends who are white be like me I don't need them to sing my songs, do what I do, feel like I feel. And I don't need to necessarily change. We need to find, we can find common songs we like. We can find common things we love. That's fine. But you've got to be careful that racism doesn't become a black or a white thing or an Asian thing. Let me tell you, when you travel the world, in India there's scores of racism. Classism is probably the biggest thing there. If you travel around the various parts of the world, it's everywhere. It's not just in America. Sometimes we think we have a corner on the market. The idea that someone needs to be like you is the problem, that you are the model of perfection, that God designed you to be the example of what everybody should look like. But here's what I think is really the greatest danger in all of this. The attitudes that we take on toward racism have done a dangerous thing to our mission as Christians. Because Matthew 28:19 says something that's really important. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me read this. Make sure you got it. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, all nations, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. That's your job, to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's your job. That's the Great Commission. The church was never, ever called to do anything other than that, to care for the entire world, not to enslave the world, not to control the world, not to change the world, not to make the world look like you or sound like you. That was never God's intent, and that is not, shouldn't be my intent. I have a lot of white friends that I say to them, be you, be you, be white, be what you are, sing your song, do what you do. I mean, don't try to be me. You don't have to be like me, sound like me. You can be you. You are, you are perfectly blessed in your whiteness I am perfectly blessed and white in my Americanness, my blackness, my black african Americanness. Whatever you are, Indian, you are, you are by God's definition worth loving. You are an ethnic group that God loves. My job as a Christian is to reach you. My job is, and if I don't do that, listen carefully, I am, I am selfish. That is a selfish thing for me to do, to, to, to reach out to you and not share the gospel. And I want to show you in the Bible how that works. And I want you to see a story that I think illustrates in Acts chapter 10, if you turn there. Acts chapter 10 tells a story of a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. He is a guy that is um, quite amazing. And I want to juxtapose him against a guy named Peter, who's a Jew. And I want to show you the tension that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And I want you to watch how God systematically guides Peter who is a, listen, this is very important here, he is a godly, God-caring, God-fearing man, but he has a problem with racism. He has a problem relating to anybody hanging with, eating with, living around anybody that was not Jewish. And it was obvious. It was obvious. And he did not, it was amazing to me about this Okay, so Peter, Peter walked on the water. He saw Jesus rise from the dead. He, was, he witnessed any, every miracle that you could probably witness, and it didn't change him because he had a philosophical issue. He had a religious issue, and he felt that he was obeying God by staying away from anything that was what he called common or unclean. But there was this guy named Cornelius. This, this guy who was praying and serving God. He was a Gentile. Peter never met him. A soldier, faithful guy, risen in the ranks, but he was a godly man. And and this was a guy praying for God's best in his life, asking God to give him the best and help him grow. And so God decided to help this man, Cornelius, grow. God had a growth plan and a growth strategy for this man. And so what God decided to do was to first of all approach him. And I want you to listen to what God said to him. This is important. He sends an angel to him. This is in Acts chapter 10. I think this is probably one of the most profound moments in the Bible. Chapter 10, verse, verse 1. There was a certain man named in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiments. So he's a soldier. Verse 2. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household. Listen to that now. He feared God with all of his household and gave alms generously to, to the people and prayed to God always about the ninth hour, about 3 p.m., of that day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of god coming in and saying to him cornelius pause for a second here's a guy who number one he fears god number two he gave alms he's a giver he's the guy who gives the people in the neighborhood you know you can always hey man you got any food no you can go to cornelius man you know he's good about that he'll give you he'll help you out so he's a giver and he prayed all the time he's known to be a mighty prayer he's a prayer warrior And he has now this spiritual encounter with God. And this encounter is going to change his life because he's been asking God. He's been wanting to get closer to God. But he has a ceiling. Think about that. He has a ceiling. And God's trying to reach over and grab him. God's trying to touch him. And so what happens is, watch this spiritual encounter. Verse 4. When he observed him, he was afraid. When he saw the angel, he was afraid. He said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is, in, is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel... Who spoke to him had departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So, here's a guy now. He's praying. God gives him a revelation. I want you to go and I want you to meet this guy who's going to show you what you need. He has a piece of something you need. So, think about this for a second, okay? This is a guy dreaming of a better life without all the pieces he needs. He's got, you know, some knowledge of God. He knows how to pray. He knows, you know, how to give. He got that down. But there's another level. He's never heard the gospel. He's never heard the gospel. He never heard about Jesus. He never heard the details. He doesn't know how to come to Christ. So what God does is he says, I'm going to send you to Peter's house. I want you to go to Peter's house. He doesn't talk to Peter first. He talks to Cornelius first. So Peter, Peter's waiting, doesn't know this guy's coming. So he goes to Peter's house. Now, what's interesting is Peter at the same time is having a moment with God, and this is important. Peter's having a moment with God. Peter is praying. So is Cornelius. Now, think about this for a minute. Cornelius is afraid when he sees the angel. And I love the fact that when this guy prays. Here's what his what's said. Watch this. First, go back to verse 4. When they observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers, listen to what he said, your prayers and your alms have come up before up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon. I want you to go, this guy. You've impressed heaven. You've impressed heaven, and I need to expose you to Peter. For you to go to the next level. I need to get you beyond this, this, this cap. I need to expose you to Peter. He's got some information, and I want you to go get it. Now, I want you to hear this. Peter had the key, the gospel. Peter had the message. And so this guy is what I call an early adapter. He goes right away, calls his servants, and they go right away, and they are headed to Peter's house. Now, Peter is dreaming. He's in a spiritual state. He's praying. The guys are on the way to the house. And what what I want to describe Peter's moment as, Peter is dreaming, he's praying, but he doesn't realize how selfish he is. He doesn't realize that somehow he has taken the gifts that God gave him and he's held them to himself. He said only for Jews, no Gentiles. He had no plan, no dreams, no passion to touch Gentiles at all. It was illegal in his mind. Now, I want you to notice with me. This encounter in chapter 10, verse 9, changes Peter's life. And I want you to look at what what God does. He goes after Peter's philosophy. That's so important. Follow me. He goes after Peter's way of thinking. It's the way he framed his thoughts. And I want you to watch, watch how he does this. This is in verse 9. The next day as they went out on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, about 12 noon. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they, they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and led down onto the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And, and a voice came to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so. Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Big statement. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Wow. Wow. Peter wakes up out of this trance, out of this prayer meeting, out of this encounter with God, and he's trying to figure out what in the world is this about? God is trying to challenge his thinking. So I want you to tell you something. <laughs> Your philosophy can get you in a lot of trouble, especially when it comes to racial issues. You can, you can sit around and come up with these great philosophical convictions about white people, black people, Asian people, all these people, all these people you want. But if you're not careful, you have not faced How your philosophy has hindered you from sharing the pieces of God's word with other people. Now watch what happens. Peter now is going to be asked to do something he never, ever dreamed he'd do. Cross an ethnic line. Look at verse 19 of chapter 10. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Notice, the the Lord has to speak to him. He said to him, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I've sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been with him, and bottom line is, he goes. He goes. It's shocking to Peter. Peter says, What do you want? He says, Well, they tell him, Cornelius, a righteous man, has asked for you to come. And he shares shares their, their vision and, Peter's already been told, go. Now, I want you to watch this now. This was a moment that would change Peter's life. Peter, watch this now. He he discerned something and goes. He accompanied them. Verse 28, chapter 10. Then he said to them, he said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Listen to what he said. But God Show, has shown me that I should not call any any anything he's made common or unclean. I shouldn't call anything common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked for them. For what means? For what reason have you sent for me? I was willing to go because God made it clear to me that my philosophy was wrong that I should call nothing he made common or unclean. Now, I want you to notice that's a change. It's a big moment for Peter. Peter changed. Peter goes to the house. He gets there, and you read the story on your own. Cornelius greets him, falls down, and starts to almost worship him, and Peter grabs him by the hand and says, no, I'm a man like you. Get up. And, And then eventually Peter shares the gospel. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. Great things happen. And I want you to notice, though, how much effort it took to change Peter's philosophy. Three times he had to show him the vision. Then he had to speak to him a fourth time and say, I want you to go with these men. Peter goes, sees how God is touching Cornelius' family, sees that God is moving in his life, seeing that they get filled with the Holy Spirit just like they were. He sees that they were human beings, that God wanted to touch. They were God's people. And so later on, Peter says, who can forbid that these be baptized? It's a great moment. But here is the great message. Peter was hiding his gift. Racism forces you to do that. You don't share with everybody. You only share with people like you. And you've got to be careful about that. All of us. Racism blocks us off and says, you're better than me. or you're, and that, That's what's awful. And let me just give a little history lesson for a second. That's the, that's the tragedy of slavery. The tragedy of slavery is, when, when, when the Spanish, when the English, when the Dutch, all the people went and captured slaves. When they went there and they saw those people, instead of sharing their gift, instead of sharing the gospel, they enslaved them. That's the tragedy of racism. That somehow there's some justification for taking people by force, and, and bringing them over. Hang with me. Hang with me. And then somehow, for years, creating laws and rules that block them from having equal access. Because philosophically, we believe they are inferior or they are whatever, whatever the reasons are. But that's not what Jesus said to do. Go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every ethnic group. Our job is to go everywhere and touch everybody with the gospel, the good news. We are, if you're evangelical, then that's what you do. You communicate the gospel. You communicate the good news. It's about you taking that responsibility. It's about me taking it as a black man. It's about me being committed to touch white people or Asian people or Japanese people or, or short people or small people equally without, without any hesitation. My phone book should look like I care about everybody. My life should look like I care. My tone should say I care about everybody i got to care about the, the poor, poor white guy in, in, in Georgia who's a farmer who's trying to make it. i got to care about the poor white family that's struggling. Right across the street from my church, down the road, right over here, there's some people that are very nice people. They're not all wealthy. There are people around me who are struggling. I have to care about everybody. The problem is when we don't care about everybody, what happened to George Floyd was a sign of not caring. This human, this human guy, this guy who had a knee on his neck until he died, that wasn't the way you treat people. It's not right. But let's, let's, let's for a minute move to the next part of the conversation. What should the church do? The church should see itself as the mediator of peace. The church should see itself as the beacon of light. The church should be able to say, look at how we treat people. The church should be able to say, look at us. Weird examples. Jesus called us to go to every ethnic group. We care about everybody. Anybody who's done wrong, white woman, black woman, short woman, tall woman, doesn't matter who it is. There's something about having an equal standard, a philosophy that embraces everybody, everybody, everybody. Go, Go into all the world and touch everybody. I don't have a right to be biased. I don't have a right to not care. I have a right to share love with everybody. Cornelius didn't have all the pieces he needed. Peter had the pieces. God sent Cornelius to Peter to get the pieces he needed. Peter was being selfish, holding on to the pieces and not sharing it. And so God had to have a spiritual moment with this man, Cornelius, and a spiritual moment encounter with this man, Peter, to bring them together, to awaken something in Peter. But what was amazing was Peter ran into opposition because he did it. When Peter got back in chapter 11 of Acts, there's an incredible conversation he had to have. After going to Cuneo's house, here's what he ran into. And this is what happens whenever you talk about racism or whenever you try to get past it, you run into this, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Those who were Jewish contended with him. Argued with him. You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them, Peter. I cannot believe you did that. <laughs> I just want to pause for a second. How Christian is that? I want you to think about what that meant. And I, I think we have to, on all sides of, ethnic, of, of our ethnic lives, pause Are you mad because a black man has a relationship with a white man or a white woman or have you have a problem with somebody having a friend who's not in the same color? Do you get mad because I'm concerned about how they feel and I'm supposed to only care about how black people feel? Do you care? How about do you? Does anybody does anybody get the message here that this is wrong on all sides? This is this is a man trying to reach across to Gentiles and he felt. He knew he was clear this was God's will. But when he got back home, he had to face his people. I don't think a pastor who gets up and speaks against racism in a predominantly white church would have to face a firestorm of complaint. I don't think it's fair. I I think the church has to look at its philosophy and say, what is that about? What is that about? What What is this about? Why is it that this is something he's got to face? Okay, so he didn't say everything perfectly. He didn't quote everything right. You know, and I not get it. I mean, no one's going to say it right. I didn't say something that you can comment on. So what? I mean, you try it. Who's going to be perfect in their communication? But that's not the point I'm getting at. The point I'm getting to is our core philosophy can be so detrimental that it hinders the spread of the gospel. There's no way in the world that God ever intended for Christians to go to Africa and import slaves. Admit that's wrong. Admit that it was wrong for them to have laws that were systemically hindering not only blacks, women, Asians, Japanese. I mean, we've been systemically unkind to a lot of people. And it's not just here in America. It's around the world. (laughs) I had this thought today. You know, I had this thought. It's amazing. We are a very small part percentage of the world population. There's several billion people. America doesn't have but a few hundred million. We're, we're way smaller than China. We're way smaller than a lot of parts of the world. Pakistan, a lot of places, are bigger than us. I mean, do you realize that most of the world is not black or white, or American or Asian? Or it's not. It's not. We're a mix, and nobody is superior to anybody. And I want to say the only reason is an American. If you, do you think everybody wants to live here is because you haven't been everywhere in the world yet? Yeah, a lot of people want to live here, but everybody doesn't want to be an American. Everybody doesn't want to be black. There are people who are happy being who they are. There are Brazilians who are happy. They're happy to be, happy to be Brazilian. There's some Hispanic friends that are proud to be Hispanic. They don't want to be black or white or anything. They want to be who they are. They just want to be treated fairly. Without you thinking or me thinking that I'm better than them. That's it. They want you to just bring the gospel message. You know, to whom much is given is much required. Whenever you are the person with the biggest, biggest pocketbook in your family, you normally have to pay for more stuff. Whenever you are the the predominant culture anywhere, whether it be in America or anywhere, your job is to care about everybody. The aborigines in Australia have a story how they were literally slaughtered, thousands of them just slaughtered, slaughtered. It's all over the world. It's not just in America. When you are given the privilege of power, you have to understand it, and you have to be fair. You have to say if we work for 200 years with free labor, we're going to get ahead. No wonder we're the richest country in the world. We got ahead 200 years with, with free labor. Yeah. But you have, to, you have to say that's not right. That's not what Matthew 28 19 said we should do. We should, we should not have taken advantage of weaker people that did not have the technology we had and, and created that kind of culture. That's all. Say that. Done with that. Now let's go forward. Admit the truth and say now we get, we get it. But then here's the flip side of that. (laughs) You can't just say it and not change. Let me help you with that. You don't talk to one person and solve this problem. And you don't have one conversation and solve it. You might find this fascinating. There is a conversation in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. uh, 20 years after the conversation in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. One more time. Twenty years later, after the conversation in Acts chapter 10, Peter and Paul have another conversation. And I'm, I'm going I'm to read it for you. Galatians two eleven. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, this is 20 years later, after Acts 10, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Verse 15, we who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith, even so on and so on. Now, I want to pause there and say this. Listen. Peter, 20 years later, you're being a hypocrite. You're fighting the same headwinds. You got Jewish people who want you to to not hang around Gentile people, and you are being phony. When you're around the Gentiles, you act one way, you eat with them, you laugh with them. When the Jews come around, you separate. And that, my friend, was 20 years after the first discussion. You know, one of the hard parts about this conversation is you keep having it over and over again. You, you, I, I've been in so many foot washings. I was in the original big conference. I mentioned last week the, the miracle of Memphis where they washed the feet of the black folks. And the feet, and we, we, we laughed and we prayed. And I was there. I was there. I was there with them on the stage. I was present, 36 years old. I was there. And I am 62. And I'm still having the same conversation. And here's why three things have not happened that need to happen. I'm going to give you what I call the solution, okay, but I think is a potential solution that might help us. Here's, how, here's, here's, here's some thoughts that maybe, maybe you could use, maybe four things. Number one, first of all, you're not going to change this without a spiritual encounter. It starts with that, John 16, 8. Here's what the Bible says there, John 16, 8. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of righteousness. He convicts the world of judgment. I can't convict you. That's what he's saying. If I think I can give a speech or even what happened to George Floyd, even what happened around, listen, I don't believe any one event alone will change the hearts of people without a spiritual encounter. There's got to be something that happens in the heart of men. Secondly, you need a voice from within the culture like Paul to remind you. Paul was a Jew reminding Peter a Jew. Hey, man, that's not right. You need a voice within the culture. Thirdly, you have to have personal repentance. There's a Greek word, right? Big fancy word. Meta, metanoia. Metanoia. It's a compound word that means to have an afterthought. It means to think again, to come to a new conviction. It means to stop going north and go south. Until there is, number one, a spiritual encounter. Number two, until a voice from within the culture speaks. People who look like you have to say that's not right. Black people have to say no. White people have to say no. Asian people have to say no. Americans have to say no. We can't be biased against the world. Someone within the culture has to speak up. Thirdly, you have to have personal repentance where you say you're sorry, where you come to a different conviction until there's a a moment in your life where there's a metanoia moment where you go, I can't think that way. No no one can force that. I, I love the verse. I'm telling you, John 16, 8 has been a theme for me. I cannot force people to change. And the last thing is this. You ready? In order for this to work, I've got to be committed to making disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19. I've got to understand that that's my call. That's what God called me to do. Make disciples of all nations. Now, I want to tell you something. I wanted to just give you a, 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 a simple My big point, racism denies access to the gifts that God gave you. Racism denies access to people that look like you and me. It locks out people. Racism. I want to say that to you and I want you to hear it. Racism robs the world of your God-given gifts and denies others access to what, what God gave you. One more time. Racism robs the world of your God-given gifts and denies others access to what God gave you. God gave you things. He put it in your hand. And you have to share it with everybody. I cannot just share it with people like me. And I must admit, when my philosophies have set up all kinds of problems, Richard Pratt thought he, Michael Richard Pratt uh, thought he did a great thing. His conviction about touching people and uh, Richard, I'm sorry, Richard Henry Pratt He thought by changing these Indians and forcing them to get away from their culture, he was helping them. But in the end, uh, they lost their native language. They lost their identity as Indians, many of them. It caused great friction in families. And for generations, the outcome was not what he had hoped. But sometimes your philosophy can be wrong. Is yours wrong? I want you to think about this for a second. I believe that God's called us to be one big family, black, white, Asian. I don't want you to be colorblind. I want you to embrace all the colors of the rainbow. And I want you to love everybody. And I want you to think about what I've said today. There's more to say down the road, so let me pray for you. Father, I pray for this to be the moment when your people hear the message, a message that will inspire them to grow and to learn, to love each other. I must share what I have with the world. And the world must share what it has with me. We cannot grow and become better. Cornelius could not be better without Peter. And Peter could not be better without Cornelius. Blacks cannot be better without whites, and whites cannot be better without blacks. Asians cannot be better without Americans. Americans cannot be better without Koreans. We have to all care about each other. We have to love the Chinese and the Russian and the Iranians. We have to find a way to blend our lives together. You called us to go into all the world and touch everybody, all ethnic. Help us face our own racism. Help us face, Lord God, in this country, things that we've done that were wrong. Help us, Lord God, uh, speak to police departments that need to make adjustments in the way that they're running. We pray, God, that you give guidance and grace to all of us to address the areas that need to be changed. In Jesus' name. Let me give you one final piece of advice. Somebody asked me, Pastor, how do you change this world? Do you think it's possible? Sure it is. When you understand that there's no one person you can talk to and have one conversation, the real power is when you take the the many what I what I say is racism is decentralized. It's spread throughout. So there's there are people throughout that have to be touched and it's here and it's there and it's everywhere, it's in this group and that group and this culture and that business. And so everybody within every individual culture, for example, if you're a banker, you have to look at your culture and say, okay, as a bank what are we doing that shows racial bias? Are we in our practices? I mean, look at our practices and see. We have to, a, a school teacher has to look at how she treats people in her class. A principal. Every individual has a key. Maybe like 10% of the power is in this guy's hand and 2% in this business is in that, in that person's power. And so if everybody takes their key and says, I'm going to walk up to the door of racial injustice and I'm going to put my key in and say I will do all I can to make a change and then this guy over here he has 10% he has more power than me he's the boss he can come in and say well I can do a better job at hiring and I'll be fair I'll put my key in the door and so everybody comes and puts their key in the door and before you know it you change the whole department you change the whole company you change the church you change the way we live it's, there's no one person that can change all of this it's all of us working together and caring together that will make a difference you do your part I do my part I have a certain amount of power in my organization, and I need to make sure I use all that power that I can to make sure that I'm racially fair and that I care. And you have to do the same thing. And so I hope you take this message and apply it to your life today, and I hope I helped you today. Thank you for being with us. I want to thank all of you for being with us today. I want to encourage you if you're here for the very first time and you said, Pastor, what you said spoke to me in a way that really helped me. And you want me to pray for you. There's an information I want you to reach out to. You can email me if you desire personally at pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. Pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org, and I'll pray for you. I'll be glad to pray with you about whatever you think and how you feel and what God wants to do in your life. Some of you need a change of life, and this could be the change of life you need. And so we'll be glad to pray for you. Well, I pray you were blessed by today's message. You know, Peter did have a challenge. He had a hard time overcoming really difficult for him to realize that over 20 years had gone by and he still was struggling with the same issue it's hard sometimes to see people try fall get up fall get up fall get up but we learn a lot but here's the bigger challenge for all of us who are believers whether you are evangelical baptist catholic whatever you are we're called matthew 28 19 to go into all the world and preach the gospel that's our assignment so here's the question are you willing to do that are you willing to reach every ethnic group every ethnos the bible says I believe it's your job. It's our job. And one of the challenges of racism is that it denies people access to the gift God gave you, the message that God gave you. God called all of us to reach the world. I'm supposed to reach people that don't look like me, and you're supposed to reach people that don't look like you. We're all called to be in this together. My name is Pastor Rick. I hope you are blessed by today. Let me pray for you. Father, bless those today who are listening. May it inspire them to look in their own hearts and see their own failures. And are they used by God in the way that you intended for them to be a people that share their gift their pieces their talents with others may this be that moment that they reflect on that and say maybe I haven't been as open and maybe I've, I've been hogging and selfishly holding on to my gift and not sharing with everybody we are God's people and we need each other may we repent together may we grow together may we change together and may we be open to voices that speak to our hearts and challenge us to be different May this be the beginning of a new way of thinking, a new way of living together in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for letting me share this word with you today. Sometimes it's a tough word, but it's a good word to help you and me, all of us, be better. God bless you. See you next time. Bye-bye.